got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We are going to talk so much MLB playoffs today that you are going to lose it. No, uh, KU has game day in town. We actually stopped by earlier today, and it's cool. They got it all set up and everything. Uh, everybody's yep. going out there. You're going to have a ton of fun out there. Make sure hey, to stop by Big Mill beforehand, though. Huge news. Pat McAfee did not know what the Campanile was. No. On his show, he <laughs> was like, during the show, he like turned around and he was like, to the crowd, there was like a crowd there. He was like, "What is that?" <laughs> they were like, "That's the Campanile. Come on, well, bell tower." Uh, uh, we will talk plenty of KU football throughout today. Reese Davis, host of College Game Day, excited to have him join the show in about ten minutes. And right now, we uh, have Brandon McAnderson joining the show. Typically uh, with us on Fridays, he'll join us at the top of the five o'clock hour. We've also got some uh, big news to get to. We'll get to some of it here in the open. We've got some Travis Goff audio to share with you as well. But first, the wait is over. Kansas DraftKings Sportsbook is here, and the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. First of all, good thing we said under last night for that Colts-Broncos game. We won. Yeah, that was a disaster. Nobody wins by watching that game, but... You know, do you think do you think Kirk Herbstreit arriving? I don't know if he arrives today or tomorrow. Is going to be extra juiced up to talk football and KU and everything because he's like, oh, thank goodness, I'm <laughs> done with the the, the Broncos. Good some game. good offense. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but anyway, we're looking at some of the player props. They're up there on DraftKings. Kansas up to six and a half, or I guess down to six and a half on the spread. Sixty eight and a half. I already got some action in on Kansas team over at 30 and a half I think they need to go over that for them to be competitive for them to win the game so I think that's interesting honestly I'm a little more tempted to take the money line at plus 215 than I am the spread yeah I just could see you know uh but as far as the player props here's the ones that stick out to me Jalen Daniels over one and a half touchdowns passing I like that over 205 and a half passing yards if if TCU is going to put up all these points like their offense has shown this season you're going to have to keep up. And late in the game, yep. he's going to have to be chucking it around the yard. So I like that. You can get Devin Neal or Jalen Daniels over under at 68.5 and 84.5 rushing yards. 84.5 for Jalen Daniels is pretty high. And you can also get Jalen Daniels over under for rushing touchdowns at .5, but the over is minus 180. Mm. So if you take the under, it's plus 135. So they must really think he's going to get a rushing touchdown. Yeah. So what sticks out to you the most? I think the over 84 or the 84 and a half rushing yards for Jalen Daniels, uh, that that is rather high considering when you think about what Jalen Daniels has done, his rushing numbers have not been insane the past couple weeks for KU, which which I think you could take that with, with two thoughts. Either A, that's going to continue, or B, it means he's due to have a big rushing game because we know how good he is as a runner, and we've seen him do that earlier in the season. So, I don't know, it's, it's kind of tough. But 84 and a half, that's... I mean, that, that's a lot of rushing yards. Now, again, earlier in the season, he was getting that easily. So we'll see. I, I think it'll. I think 
the issue with that bet is like because K runs the option so much, it's almost like that his rushing yard total is going to depend on how TCU plays defense against that option. Like are they going to are they going to allow Jalen to run the ball more or are they going to force it into the more of the option play? You know what I'm saying? Yep. So the one I like the best, I like the uh, passing touchdowns and the passing yards. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KLWN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. 10 plus leg required for 100% boost. Opt in required parlay and wagering restrictions apply eligibility and terms at draftkings.com slash football terms and uh, some quick news we're gonna have to take a quick break here reese davis gonna join us in a little over five minutes but wanted to quickly get to these three things one rob riggle is the guest picker i like that exciting good choice you know he'll he'll represent the university well uh the trevor wilson case this obviously very different news uh dropped so i would imagine that clears the opening for him to rejoin the team uh, and kind of work his way back on. I wouldn't imagine we still see him at any point in the near. So uh, probably would be, you know, later on something to think about. But yep. that is good news for Trevor Wilson. And the last thing, KU announced, uh, and we have some audio from Travis Goff, the stadium renovations that are going to take place. Uh wasn't totally clear even after speaking with Travis Goff what they were going to do as far as just tearing it down or one by one kind of fixing. They didn't have a, a full answer on that yet, but they are going to kind of renovate the stadium. And it sounds like it's going to be like this multi-purpose complex that's going to have like shops and even like possible doctor's offices and could be used for like concerts and other events and even conference events that are going on. So uh, we'll get to that audio with Travis Goff coming up later on in the show. We do have to take a time out though. Reese Davis, the host of College Game Day, is going to join us coming up next with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And we got a special guest who you're going to see plenty on your TV tomorrow or if you're going out up on the hill, see him in person with Reese Davis. I, I said before the break, the host of, of College Game Day, there's multiple hosts, but I feel like Reese Davis is the host, kind of facilitating everything up, up front. So, Reese, thank you for joining us today. You've obviously been here for game day on the hoop side of things. So, are, are you um, kind of in charge this week for, for giving any recommendations to the rest of the crew for, for what spots to hit up around town? Well, we went to 7.15 last night, but I have to uh... – I have to give Chris Tyson and um, and Bill Self the credit for that one, but usually what I told them to do is go to the wheel and have a Wang burger, mm-hmm. and uh, you know so I I've recommended that, and uh, so I, I've been on it, but uh, you know it is it's sort of unusual to be on this side of campus and be on the hill. We were out there earlier, and uh, I hope everybody will come out and make it as big a scene and as crazy a scene as I anticipate. I did find out I didn't know until this morning that the students were on fall break, but I hope they've altered their travel plans long enough to uh, stick around for the show and for the game tomorrow because it ought to be ought to be a blast. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious from, I guess, the crew's standpoint, how, how does that all go with the, with the picking situation 
of figuring out where game day is going to be the next week? Is that something where everybody kind of weighs in and, and gives their vote, or is that done uh, by I somebody would, higher up? No, well, it's a combination of all of it. I think the great thing about about selecting the sites is that everybody's um, perspective and judgment is taken into consideration. You know, now there are times when, you know, when maybe management has has something that they feel like they would urge us to do, but not one time in uh, my eight years hosting the show, uh, they said, no, you cannot go to this place. You will go to another place. And I think that shows the regard and respect that they have for what the show means to the entire landscape of college football and the equity that we've built up in terms of uh, displaying pretty good judgment and selecting where the best storyline and the best scene each week is. So it's a week-to-week -week process. Everybody does weigh in, for sure. And we've had a couple of sites already this year that uh, you know, weren't on the preseason prospectus list uh, with Appalachian State and here. I mean, this week, if you had asked us in July, you know, what is the probability that you would be in Tuscaloosa for Jimbo Fisher going in against Nick Saban after all of their off-season shenanigans, I think all of us would have put it at about 95.9%. And by the time last Saturday night rolled around, uh, Kansas was undefeated. They you know, won a, a tight defensive game against Iowa State, proving that they could win in different ways. TCU had eviscerated Oklahoma. A&M had lost for the second time. And, uh, you know, Auburn is down for the Texas-Georgia thing, and then Oklahoma lost, and, and Texas has lost a couple. And it was really, uh, by Saturday night, it was pretty easy, to be honest, to say, well, we're going to Kansas. That's where the best story of the day is. And it's also one of the more compelling uh, resurrection stories in uh, of the college football season, if not of the last several college football seasons with what Kansas has been able to do so far. And, you know, this, but this is not – just a story about Kansas. It also is a story about, you know, Sonny Dykes in his first year, one of the most explosive offenses in the country. And so you've got a couple of converging storylines here for this great setting. And it's fortunate for us, while we love going to TCU, we've had great trips and great scenes there. It's nice to be able to go someplace new. And it's great that they're playing here. and We're able to, to bring the show here. Reese, on, on the Kansas side of things, are there other teams or moments in time that you can remember where so much of the CFB world has rallied behind a particular story like they have Kansas this first half of the season? No, and I think it's because they haven't won enough games to make anybody mad. You know, <laughs> you know I mean, you know, I mean, nobody, yeah. nobody's wanted to lose, but after a while, you know, nobody likes it because if you start, you know, if you start beating them, then you're taking away from those teams. So, so everybody's on their side because, you know, because uh, Leipold hasn't hasn't laid enough lumber to him yet, but uh, eventually he will, you know, given his track record. But they're off to a great start. But it is. It is a little bit different, I think, and I think everybody likes an underdog story. And when you've been uh, to the depths of despair, to the desolate, dark places that Kansas football has been, really since you know since 2008, I mean the numbers are are shocking. I mean, I, I had them in my. I do a, a preseason uh, spreadsheet on all of the Power Five teams, and usually you know 20 to 25 teams that I think will be pretty good out of the group of five. And I was looking back over some of my Kansas notes over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, since 2008, like 
eight and 106 in conference play. How's that even possible? You know that you know that you don't stumble into more wins than that. I mean, this is the first year since 08 they won more than one conference game. So I think when you see a program turn around that quickly, it's easy to root for. And when you couple it with uh, with guys leading it, and both the head coach and the quarterback who are very like eminently likable people, uh, then I think that that really makes for a, a feel good type story that people can get behind. Well, I do want to dig into the game a little bit with you. What sticks out the most in this matchup between this this high flying TCU offense uh, uh, against this upstart Kansas team? I, I think that's a it's a big problem is slowing down the TCU speed. Um, you also worry a little bit now. TCU's not as good on on defense as Iowa State. I don't think. Uh, you know, you're still forming opinions on these teams so far. The second half uh, and lack of productivity from the Kansas offense last week, um, you know, is is a little troublesome because it's going to be hard to uh, keep TCU in that kind of game. So you're going to have to match them. And you know, the good news is, is that prior to second half last week, Kansas has shown the ability uh, to do just that. But these guys lead the nation in yards per play. They've scored eight touchdowns from 40 yards out or further. And, you know, and they've got a quarterback who can house it from distance, too, you know, just like Kansas does. So I think that you're going to see an up-and-down, uh, high-scoring game. That's, that's what I anticipate. And I think the real, the real key for Kansas, a couple of things, probably uh, controlling the ball a little bit, keeping uh, limiting TCU's possessions, and then make them snap it again. And what I mean by that is I, I reference this a lot, and I, I said earlier to some media people here that I think anything referencing a Hall of Fame basketball coach goes over well in Kansas. But, you know, Bob Knight, when I was calling games with him, Bob always used to say to me, dumb loses more than smart wins, meaning that you are more likely – to, uh, if you can avoid the mistake yourself, let your opponent make mistakes. And you're more likely to win that way than you are coming up with some dramatic scheme or play that's going to outsmart the other guy. And if, if Kansas can make TCU snap it again, they're not really prone to mistakes. The Horned Frogs aren't. But if you make them snap it again, you at least increase your, your chances of something going wrong for them. So I think if they can... Uh, avoid explosive plays as best they can, make them drive the ball instead of scoring from 40 or 50 yards out, and then control the ball themselves. I think that that gives them their best opportunity to win on Saturday. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's definitely been something we've been talking about all week with the idea that KU's defense outside of the West Virginia game has kind of done a good job with that, and can you just make them uncomfortable by making them have to kind of go the long way there? Um, Do you think that whichever team wins this game, they're going to be viewed in that. I, I know Oklahoma State, especially after what they did against Baylor, like they are probably viewed in like tier one by themselves maybe to win the conference right now. Do you think whoever wins this game, they're going to kind of be vaulted up into that conversation of maybe the, the next best or, or one of the two next best teams in terms of who the real Big 12 title contenders are? I, I, I think they'll be in the realm, but the one other team I would offer is don't sleep on Texas either. I know that's kind of a, you know, that's a popular thing. And how many times, how many years in a row are we going to say Texas is back? But if Texas can beat Oklahoma tomorrow, especially depending on, you know, if they were to look good doing it, Quinn Ewers returning at quarterback, 
then I think you have to you have to really give some credence to Texas, despite that loss to Texas Tech, sort of being in that group too. But you know, I think that uh, I think the winner of this game definitely will be uh, considered in that tier. And I think the other thing you could look at if this is a wild, um, you know. 45-42 game, or heck, even if it's 28-24, just a normal game, but it's a you know, really well-played game and a good game. It's a long season, and you know better than anyone, everybody in the Big 12 plays each other, so it could be that both teams come out you know, viewed as uh, viewed as contenders to make it into the Big 12 championship game, but I think that certainly that will be the case for whoever, for whoever wins the game on Saturday. Reese, I know you can't give this away, but I'm just curious – any idea? Do you do you have any idea of which way Corso might lean with the uh, with the mascot head pick for tomorrow? <laughs> well, Elsie uh, not going to be with us this week. Um, if you were watching the show last week at Clemson, he was a little bit under the weather. Um, just another week to recuperate. All of us have talked to him uh, within the last few days. He, he's doing much better. A little bit, a little bit aggravated that he's that he's not here. But you know the. Uh, you know, everybody looking over him wants, you know, just, just make sure everything's good and that he's fully, uh, fully recuperated and healed up. So he's disappointed not to be able to be here, but, uh, but he's doing, you know, feeling much better and we'll be excited to get him back full strength, uh, as soon as possible. Well, obviously, uh, with Pat McAfee, who's, uh, I think, doing his, his radio show right now at live, uh, on the Hill, although, um, he was, he was riling up some, some Kansas fans out there and whatnot. What, what's he kind of been like as an addition to the team? And, uh, is there anything you're excited for to, to have on the show tomorrow? Uh, we've, I mean, we've got so many great things planned. Uh, Lance Leipold's going to join us. We're going to talk, uh, live to Sark during warmups before the Red River rivalry. Uh, we're sending over someone to, you know, get a little something with Max Duggan later tonight in anticipation of this game. Uh, we've got a really, aside from the Kansas TCU game, which I know is the uh, primary interest of your listeners, but we've got a really cool piece about a guy who snuck onto the field and into the celebration when Texas A&M beat Alabama last year. <laughs> it's, a, it's an offbeat, wild story that I think people will, uh, will really enjoy. So we've got that, and I understand that there will be um, a major reward, as they say in the, in the classic uh, holiday movie, a Christmas story, a major award coming for whoever comes up with the best signs in the crowd tomorrow, and it's mm. it's something really really cool. So uh, I think people want to come and and see see that be part of it. If you're here in town, if not watching on television, I think it'll be it'll be a lot of fun as well. Well, we're gonna have some some game day sign ideas coming up later in the show. So th- this was the one I came up with yesterday. I want you to grade this one for me, one through ten, and and don't hold back if it's bad. Obviously, you know, you know, if you went to to seven fifteen yesterday, that's on Mass Street, the the famous street down here in in Lawrence. Mass Street more than Herb Street with a an more. I love Kirk, but don't give me, you know. <laughs> I give I, I I give it I give it an eight. I'll have to look at the, at the at the at um, the at the artistic quality of the sign up. If you just scribble it in, in Sharpie, then maybe we downgrade it to a six point nine. But uh, <laughs> but you know, I think anything that. Uh, you know that that uh, tweaks Herbie a little bit, maybe gets his attention. Uh, will will be a lot of fun. By the way, Herb Street may be a, may be a nervous wreck tomorrow. We're hoping to get him settled back down. His son Chase, who is a, uh, I believe Chase is a sophomore, is just a, a terrific uh, high school quarterback prospect. Is getting his first start tonight uh, for uh, St. Xavier in the Cincinnati area. So we're all we're all rooting for him and. 
And I, maybe Herbie's blood pressure will be back down into the normal range by the time the show starts tomorrow morning. Yeah, well, we joked around that we said the uh, the Denver Indianapolis game last night that'll be a good balance for for what's to come for the weekend for him, especially with the uh, over under for the TCU game nearing uh, about seventy points. Well, I, I well, if I had to guess, I think I'm taking I'm taking the over there. I think. Yeah. So. Well, Reese, I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy day, and uh, we look forward to, to watching the action tomorrow on game day. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, that's Reese Davis joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Let's get to our KUTCU preview next. Okay, so before we get to the KUTCU preview here, this is wild. I I didn't know this. What's up? Uh, The Toronto Blue Jays, which I'm sorry, I just said it wrong. Their Twitter account just tweeted this out. Note to our American broadcast friends, Toronto is pronounced Toronto. The second T is ty- is silent. Did you know that? I don't think that's true. Why would they why would they tweet it out? To 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 troll? I mean, I mean, it's like, I could it's see like this happening though. Toronto. But it's it's just like how you say it. Toronto. But I think it's like Louisville. Toronto. Like technically Louisville is the right way to say it, but if you're local Louisville. it's like Louisville, you know? Or New Orleans, Nolens, right? So you're saying if People that live in Toronto say Toronto, and then everyone else Toronto. says Toronto. I think it's like Toronto. See, but when you say it fast, it Toronto. doesn't. It's like yeah, you don't really notice, but it's like not there. It's like you know, one time I heard a broadcaster say, you know how we say Kansas City, right? Kansas it all City. kind of bleeds together, yeah, like City. the S and the C and the yeah. yeah. I heard one announcer one time go, and they're going to Kansas City, and it just <laughs> it sounds weird, right? But phonet- or, or but just how it's spelled, like that, yeah. that's not wrong. Well, so. I I think the what I've always noticed with like Midwest people is, you know, Midwest people always say like they don't necessarily have an accent per se. Mm-hmm. The accent that I think Midwest people have is they constantly smush words together and they also <laughs> cut off ends of words. Yeah. Like, for instance, the word just. Nobody in the Midwest says just. They say just. Oh, I'm just. just going over here. I'm just going down to the store. I'm just doing this, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, if it's if there's a uh-huh. T at the end of the word, they, it's cut off. Yeah. And yeah. They smush words to Kansas City, another good example. They smush words uh-huh. together. So that's like the Midwest accent, it's I the think. the thing, yeah. Just uh, shortening language to get it out faster, yeah. I guess. Okay, so KU takes on TCU on Saturday. Tomorrow you can hear the game at 11 o'clock pregame at 9.30. The Big Mill Show with yourself and Scott, 8.30 to 9.30. So if you're heading yep. into the game, if you're heading into college game day, Come stop, stop by. by Big Mill on the way in. Um, we'll be You there. might be parking on that side. It's 30 seconds to walk by, spin the wheel. You can win some gift cards, T-shirts, all sorts of stuff at Big Mill. Um, so... Highly recommend stopping by, and uh, Crimson Blue Show starts at 9.30 with with kickoff at 11. I, I kind of wonder, is this the matchup of the best two quarterbacks in the Big 12? Spencer Sanders has looked really good to start the year. Dylan Gabriel, up until last week against TCU, was putting up big numbers and then got like injured and, and stuff. Quinn Ewers, obviously, is very talented. Adrian Martinez has kind of broken out the last two weeks, mostly on the ground. Is this the two best quarterbacks in the Big 12, though? In a vacuum, I don't think so. But when you consider how the season has started for these two quarterbacks, Jalen Daniels and Max Duggan, I think right now, October 7th, 2022, these are the two best quarterbacks in the Big 12. Max Duggan leads the nation in a lot of passing stats. He's the most efficient passer in the country. He leads the country in air yards per pass attempt. So not pass per pass yards per completion, but like air yards. Like he's throwing it down the field constantly. 
He leads him in that stat. He leads him in passing efficiency. So he's been obviously outstanding. And then, of course, Jalen has become a, a kind of a dark horse Heisman candidate for the past couple weeks, right? I mean, with what he's able to do on the ground and what he's done through the air as well so far this season for KU, he's he's become that kind of that that quarterback as well. So in a vacuum, I don't know that you would say that this is the this is a matchup of the two best quarterbacks, but when you take into consideration what they've done so far this season, I'm hard pressed to say no at this point. Yeah, I. I think that this week will do a lot for, I think, more Jalen than than Duggan. It's funny, though, because with Max Duggan, he wasn't even the starter right off the bat for them. You know, uh, it was yeah. uh, a situation where he just came in because of injury, and, and he took it and ran. But I guess you could say the same thing about Jalen in, in why he took over to begin with last year, right? Yeah. So that, that does kind of add to the story. And, and even though that is the case for for Duggan, he had a lot of experience. Yes. He's been the starting quarterback in the past for, for TCU. Yeah. I I don't know if I'm quite ready to go there right now because if you say this is the number one versus number two, like all it would take is one other quarterback being better than either one for them to get in. But it's yeah. certainly two really good quarterbacks. Like if we just make it that standpoint, two guys that can both beat you with their legs – um, and, and have done an amazing job at that from really both ends so far this season and have been really efficient when you need them to. And I think, you know, for both of them, they're still like in the back of your mind, maybe less for Jalen, at least locally, because, you know, you're, you're just not as worried about that type of stuff. But maybe you could make the case from either guy in the back of your mind, there still is a small worry. Like for Jalen, it's, well, we saw him be a little turnover prone at times last year, and and we heard about that through camp and whatnot. That is that a possibility that could still be out there? And you throw for under a hundred yards against Iowa State. What happens when you have to win the game with your arm? And and he kind of did win the game with his arm against Duke. So it's kind of this you know up and down. But with Max Duggan, for really the totality of his career, we would see games where he would, I, I think the game in Fort Worth against KU. I mean, like, yeah, he's beaten up on KU before. I was going to say, I yeah. don't think he had an incomplete pass in that <laughs> game a couple years ago when Khalil Herbert had like transferred away like midweek. And he's had some games where he has just gone off. He's had some other games where he has kind of struggled and been inconsistent with shorter passes or maybe had turnovers to where there still is in the back of your mind with both these guys – like, yes, right now, statistically, in pass efficiency or total QBR, like these are probably the two best quarterbacks in the Big 12, but it's almost like this this benefit of the doubt that you give these other guys, like a Quinn Ewers, who was a five-star quarterback and plays for Texas, or Spencer Sanders for being a, a four-year quarterback, that we don't necessarily give these guys that might unfairly mean that they are the two best and, and maybe they're not getting as much attention as they should for that, or might mean that maybe sometimes we do listen to kind of that side of things because we do give people the benefit of the doubt like in the same way that we say well Alabama will probably be the number one team in the country this year you know why <laughs> we give them a benefit of the doubt because they've shown they do it a lot yeah I do think from from a storyline perspective this this is rather interesting in, in, in the terms of these are two teams that have pretty similar stories coming into this game like not exactly the same but you consider TCU a team that has had success in the past as a program but they were trending downward, kind of this fall from grace with Gary Patterson. He leaves midseason last year. Sonny Dykes comes in, new head coach. And then you have a resurgence by one of your quarterbacks who's off to a fantastic start. And then on the other side, obviously with Kansas, it's a bit more extreme in the sense of their last glimpse of success was 13 years ago. They have a new head coach too with Lance Leipold and really his first full year when you consider where when he started 
you know, in the spring of last season, not having the opportunity to play spring ball and all that stuff. And then, of course, Jalen Daniels surging ahead as as this this incredible player for KU. So in terms of storylines, it is pretty similar, but obviously nationally the spotlight has been much more focused on Kansas because of the length of which they've been really bad for for a long time. I think Reese Davis maybe more eloquently stated that than me just saying they've been bad. <laughs> they've been bad for 13 years. But it, it is rather interesting, and I mean it is – it is kind of a clash of these two interesting storylines this early in the season. Yeah, and like you said, just continuing the comparisons, like these are the top two teams in the Big 12 in yards per play. TCU has given up 22 points per game. Kansas has given up 24 points per game. Both are averaging over 40 points per game on that end. Uh, when you look at like average yards allowed per play on the defensive side, TCU is at 5.1, KU is at like 5.27. So <laughs> there is a lot of ways that these two teams are similar. They both run the quarterback a lot and have had a lot of success doing just that. Um, explosive offenses so far. The one thing that we haven't seen with TCU, and KU's played that one extra game against an Iowa State, which I don't think TCU's played like a team that we would deem to have like a top 30 defense or anything in the country yet. So nope. maybe that would happen if, if they had played Iowa State instead of Kansas last week or something. I don't know. But it's just in the back of your mind that Kansas is coming off that performance of what did that mean last week, whereas TCU, it's the complete opposite. It's they blew the brakes off Oklahoma, and yep. it's hard to not separate yourself from that and kind of say, man, look how good they are. They just did this to Oklahoma. And again, like it doesn't, it's, it's not a full picture because we're still so early in the season. Oklahoma might be terrible, and... <laughs> TCU might have just had a really good week, and Kansas might have had a bad week, and Iowa State might not be as bad as as they've shown so far. So, like, it, it really is impossible to know right now, but I, I think I keep going back to for this game and how it's determined. Like, I expect Max Duggan, I expect Jalen Daniels to both play really good games. I just do. It's it's that big plays that we were kind of talking about there with Reese that yeah. we've kind of been talking about all week, week long. I, I don't think we've given enough credit as part of this conversation, though, to, to KU on their side of the ball in them putting up big plays because we've seen that a lot for KU really until the Iowa State game. How many times did we see, you know, deep pass to Quentin Skinner or Luke Grimm or, you know, just a crossing route to like Lawrence Arnold or a tight end that busts off for 20, 25 yards or just a running play, a simple running play that went for 20, 30 yards or even a 70-yard touchdown. Jalen Daniels bursting one off for a big touchdown. The Tory Lachlan long touchdown. It's not just TCU's ability to get these long touchdowns. KU's done a really good job at it this year, too, as well, yep. until that Iowa State game. And as much as we've talked about can KU defend the TCU long plays, that's going to be key, too. Can TCU defend or, or keep KU from having those long plays as well? Well, I can think of, like, four different plays off the top of my head that was uh, a 25-yard pass to Jared Casey off of a play accident or something. Mm -hmm. They did it against Iowa State. They had a big play to Jared Casey against Iowa State. They had it against Duke a couple times as well, too. So you're absolutely right. KU has shown an ability to mix and match their their personnel and how they use their players to, to create big plays. And, and and like we've mentioned many times this week, that touchdown pass to Quentin Skinner, if it's a touchdown against Iowa State, the narrative around that game is probably a lot different than what it ended up being, which was, oh, KU's, KU's offense struggled or, you know, they, they you know Iowa State did a good job of shutting them down or this, that, or the other. So I don't know how much that would change it, but but you're right. I think big plays are definitely going to be a key in this game. And furthermore, with KU, against Iowa State, it was so obvious. I've said this before already. It was so obvious that their game plan was we're not going to give up a big play. They were giving up everything underneath, and they were rallying and tackling 
to the ball. And you have to assume that they're going to have a similar game plan this week against TCU, a team that is significantly better at creating big plays than Iowa State. So it's going to be kind of that same strategy, I think, for Kansas coming into this game defensively. But they have shown now that they can force a team to dink and dunk their way down the field because that's what they basically were making Iowa State do all game last week. And if they can force TCU to do that this week, it should be a very interesting game from the defensive side. And for TCU, I do want to point this out. Against Oklahoma, a lot of it was blown coverages. A lot of it was just guys wide open, like wide open. Guys taking terrible angles, like, like, nobody touching a running back, yeah, like, straight like, to the end zone. Like guys that I could catch the ball for, for a touchdown. Well... <laughs> Maybe too far. Maybe too far, and I don't, I, don't, I don't have the greatest hands in the world. But but the point still stands that, that TCU, they got up so big so fast against Oklahoma that they, they didn't even really have to try, right? And if this ends up being a much closer game in the third and fourth quarter and the pressure is really on and KU is really looking to limit those big plays, how will the TCU offense respond? I mean, how will they respond? We don't really know because when you look at TCU's schedule – they blew out Colorado State, I think it was. Colorado State. It was Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Yeah. They, beat out, they blew out Colorado. They played an FCS school, Tarleton State, who is not a very good FCS yep. school. And then they had a pretty tight game against SMU, which that's a rival. So, you know, okay, sure. And then the blowout against Oklahoma. So we haven't really seen, truly, the TCU offense in a pressure situation. And if and like I said, if the KU defense is limiting their big plays, what is their response going to be if this is a one-possession game in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter. We don't really know yet until we get there. So I think that's going to be something to, to keep an eye on definitely if this game stays close, the longer it stays close, is which offense might crack first. And for KU, they've they've also struggled, right? We've talked about it. Their four-minute offense when they've had leads in games has kind of floundered and they've gone a little bit conservative. So if, they, if Kansas has the lead, what does that look like? So there's a lot of questions, and I really wish I could just fast-forward this game to like, Seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, and it's like tied at 35 or like 38-31 or 31-24, something like that. That's I wish I could just flat, fast forward, flat, fast, wow, fast forward to that moment and just see what happens from then on. So I hope we get there, and I hope we get a chance to see how that plays out. And yeah, I mean, to your point, like TCU has been able to kind of skate through the second half. Like in the SMU game, they jumped up 28-7 to in that game. SMU made it kind of a game at the end of the third quarter at 28-21. It was 35-27 with five minutes left, but TCU was never really in a ton of danger in that game. Same with Tarleton State. The Colorado was kind of a game after three quarters. It was 17-6. Colorado was bad. Yeah, Colorado couldn't like move the Like the worst ball. team in the Power 5 bad. Yeah, and the and Oklahoma, Oklahoma game. it was what? I think it was 35-41-17 at halftime. Yeah, yeah, 41-17 at halftime. So so what happens if they're, if they're in the pressure cooker in the fourth quarter? That's, and yeah. how much will the crowd play into this? I mean, seriously, how much how much will the booth play into this? I would think a good amount. Um, certainly the, the fall break thing will make it interesting with the student section because that's going to be the loudest part of it. So how good of attendance is there from that end will be important. Yeah. But I would think, because even though the last two weeks were sellouts, it's a whole nother thing to have the energy of game day being in town and have a top 20 matchup. So... I would imagine this should be a, a good, impactful crowd that's going to help KU. It's funny because if if this does end up being as much as, you know, I just did want to mention, like, KU's really been good at hitting big plays as well on offense. If this game is played in a, uh, let's say, like, both teams have the same amount of big plays or it's, like, a low amount of big plays for both teams, I think that favors KU, right? 
Because you, you trust yeah. KU to be able to, not that TCU hasn't shown it to, like they're averaging like over seven <laughs> yards of carry uh, right now, which I mean, they're just putting together ridiculous numbers on the ground. But it's just the idea to me that you would make TCU uncomfortable and do something they haven't had to do. And we've seen time after time this year, KU has had drives where they have gone 10, 12 plays down the field that yeah. I think if it is a lower possession game and they do kind of make it more of what they did against Oklahoma last year where they said, yeah, we, we're fine having a nine and a half minute drive. We're fine having a few drives here or there where we bleed the clock out and we're fine having a, a 10 to 12 play drive and we're going to try to force you into 10 to 12 play drives. I think that style of play favors Kansas. Yes, yes, I think so. And to your point, against Duke, KU had a 90 plus yard touchdown drive, I believe, against Duke. And yeah, they have shown that they can more methodically move the ball but again, I think the question is going to be if this is if if that does play out as you stated and it's late in the game again. Again, the Kansas offense now in two consecutive weeks has really turtled up late in the game. And if that's the case again and it's another close game this week against TCU, maybe Kansas has the lead late. How much will Andy Kolnicki or Jalen Daniels and Lance Leipold, how much how much will they be willing to potentially still leave the playbook open in a situation like that to try to close out the game? Yeah, that four-minute offense, if they get up late, because uh, it's one thing to try to stop Iowa State or Duke at the end of the game. It's another exactly. if you're trying to do exactly. it with the TCU like, offense. Like, okay, punting the ball to Duke when you're up eight with you know two minutes left and pinning Duke back, okay, fine. Iowa State, I mean, they Iowa State really flubbed that on the fourth down. They should have gone for it, but they didn't. But, you know, okay, fine. You'd, you'd given up 11 points the rest of the game at that point. But if, it, if there's three minutes left in the game and KU's up four, and again, their four-minute offense just flounders and doesn't do anything. And you have to punt the ball back to TCU. That is not good. That's not good at all. It, like that's it, nightmare fuel. If I'm picking like a a, this isn't even like an individual matchup. I, I guess like a unit matchup that I think is going to most determine what happens in the game. To me, it's just in the trenches. I know that's very vague, and you could say that about every game in the same way you could about <laughs> well, turnovers. Like, let me ask, let me ask you. Yeah. This. Would you say the KU offensive line has, quote-unquote, won their matchup against the opposing D-line every game this season? Mm. Yes. I, I would say that, like, the West Virginia game, they definitely you won, won it right? there. Yep. Um, Houston, definitely you won. Definitely an FCS game. Yeah, Houston, you won. Duke, you, you won. I the think. Iowa State would be the only one that I would question. But even then, again, Kansas only gave up one sack last week, and they were actually – Pretty fine running the ball, so I don't know if I would say they won the Iowa State game, but they certainly didn't lose it, right? So, like, okay. they've been good all season long. Now, TCU yes. has some athletic pass rushers and, and defensive linemen and whatnot, but I don't think you've seen anything to this point to make you think that the offensive line is just going to get bullied in this game. Yeah, I mean, think about what the offensive line has faced already this season. West Virginia, they had a, a first-team All-Big 12 guy in the middle. Houston, they were calling themselves Sack Avenue yeah. before the game, and they didn't get squat. <laughs> But you're getting really mad they weren't cold to sack. Like, come on. <laughs> right? And then even Iowa State, they've got Will McDonald, who is in the top two, top three in pretty much every career statistic that Iowa State has defensively. And they weren't. And Iowa State's D-line wasn't really a huge factor either. So when you consider what KU's already gone up against, what scares you about TCU? Nothing, I don't think, def on the defensive line. All right, so flip that. How many games would you say the KU defensive line has won mm. their matchup against the opposing line? Okay, so again, definitely the FCS game. I would not they say not the West Virginia, Virginia game. game. No, I would so say you no said one and one. I would say they probably won probably against Houston. Houston. Yeah, yeah. Um, Duke. Uh, 
Yeah, I'll call it they, a tie. They, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They didn't lose. Like you said. No. And like then definitely against Iowa State. They so they didn't lose two or Duke. three, you know. Yeah. And and TCU's offensive line's been really good at run blocking in, in terms of the production. Now, Pro Football Focus doesn't have them graded out super well. They're like top 50 in the country. But if you're just basing it on like the yards per carry, maybe that means it's more designed runs and just the running backs and Max Duggan just making plays and it's less about the, the blocking or, or more about the, I don't know, the scheme or whatnot. Um, but they've been top 20 as, as far as a pass blocking unit. But I think at this point you should feel great to excellent about the KU offensive line's prospects in this game. And for the D-line, I think you should be feeling okay. I mean, they, the, the great thing about the D-line for KU is they have so much depth that they can just continue to just roll in fresh guys, and that matters. That especially matters late in the game when you yeah. can continue to roll in guys that have only maybe you've only played 20 snaps in the game. And they're going up against an O line that's out been out there for you know fifty offensive players or whatever. That stuff matters late in the game. Yeah, and and I think that because TCU has such explosive skill players, th- there's so much of a, I guess almost like a pressure on that defensive line to consistently win. Because if if you're allowing those guys to get into the second level, like it's over. So. This is the game that the KU defensive line has to probably have their best game, even if it doesn't lead to as much production in terms of sacks or tackles for losses, maybe some of the past weeks. Uh, there, there, there's a lot that I think I kind of put on that end. Then, yeah, the offensive line has to continue doing what they're doing. But I think you do feel pretty good that they've been good in yes. both of those regards. Now, yes. TCU has too. Uh, what KU player, if you had to pick somebody, I'm not going to let you pick Jalen Daniels because <laughs> the quarterback's the obvious answer always. What KU player has to have a big game for KU to win? Hmm, this is interesting. I I want to say like Melo Dotson or Kenny Logan because I think Kobe Bryant's going to have his impact and he's going to make some plays. So it might need to be Melo Dotson on the other side, or it might need to be Kenny Logan in the secondary again, making big plays. So I'm leaning towards going with one of those guys as somebody who has to have a good game, or even maybe just somebody like Craig Craig Young. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're playing an offense that has a lot of skill position guys that can get out and run, and you have a guy like Craig Young who can go sideline to sideline and make tackles, he might he might need to be the guy that has to have a huge game just tackling-wise at the second level of the defense. I think, uh, yeah, any of the corners, Kalen Gervin, Melo Dotson, Kobe Bryant, they all stick out. I'll, I'll I'll say Kobe for the sake of this if I'm picking a defensive guy because he had an interception against TCU last year. He had the interception last week. He's your biggest ball hawk. TCU hasn't had any interceptions this year. They just have one turnover all season. It was a fumble in week and two. Iowa State, interestingly enough, they went right at Kobe Bryant. Yes. Now the question is, who's targeted will, 13 times? Will TCU have that same strategy, or will they maybe give him a bit more respect? Mm-hmm. And so maybe if you can come up with an interception or two in this game and not turn it over on your side, like that's the difference. So I would, I would say him. If I'm picking somebody on offense, just to kind of add to it, um, man, that's tough. I, I kind of feel Lawrence like Arnold. I was gonna say. Last week. I was gonna say. I think you need a big game from Lawrence Arnold. He can stretch the defense. You have that big possession receiver that you don't normally have. Like that is that's so critical. And not having any catches last week, like I don't think it's a coincidence that they had kind of a down offensive game. He's a guy from Texas too, so um, I'm sure this game means. A, I think he's from the Dallas area, so like I'm sure this game means a little bit extra to him. Yeah, and I, I think with having zero catches, he might have to have an impact. And again, we've already discussed a little bit, but with the injury to Daniel Hyshaw, what does the role of Savion Morrison look like? What does the role of Kai Thomas look like? It sounds like, from all, all things, Kai Thomas is, is a go 
for the game. I don't know if he's fully 100%. I mean, Andy Kolnicki on Wednesday said he had some good days in practice. So, you know, take take that as you will in terms of what his role could be. So there's some definitely some questions there. Obviously, Devin Neal as well, who, you know, besides the first game against Tennessee Tech, have we seen a Devin Neal really breakout game? I don't know. That could be coming against TCU maybe. Yeah, like it would not shock me if this was because we've only really seen Devin Neal get to like 12-ish carries in a game. If this was like a 20-carry Devin Neal game, and again, they tried to kind of keep the clock on their side and keep the defense rested. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. We've got Brandon McAnderson joining us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Coming up next, let's get to some of those uh, college game day sign ideas. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Brandon McAnderson will join the show coming up here in about an hour from right now. We've got our game picks, we've got sports stock market, and some Travis Goff audio to get to you, which we'll get to you uh, kind of momentarily here. But first, we have some game day sign ideas that I wanted to, uh, to get out. And before I get into some of these, I've mentioned... Nobody steal right. Well, actually, I guess it doesn't matter if you steal our ideas. I don't mind. I just I ask for one thing. You if, want you, credit? if you take the ideas... No, you don't even have to get, just put like a little RCST in the corner of the sign. So, yeah, you want, you you want know? credit. Yeah, it's like a copyright sign. But no, I actually don't care. Take them. Just uh, the, the only thing I care... Just like send a picture on Twitter or something. Send it to me because I'd just love to see if you did take the idea. I just think that would be cool. That's but true. Yeah, send it to us. You don't have to give me any credit. I just am curious if anybody does that. Um, but Somebody should give you credit for Mass Street greater than Herb Street. Dude, I hope somebody does that. I'm well, they should you. give you credit. Uh, well, yeah, they should. Um, uh, by the way, I will bet you anything there is going to be a Bama once Kansas sign. Yeah, or we want, or we want Bama. Or- yes, we want Bama, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, um, or football school. Mm-hmm. Football there will school be now. a football school sign. Yes, hundred percent. Here's a way that I would put a twist on that: losses as part of college game day, and then you put an underline. Alabama eighteen, Kansas zero. Boom. Roast eighteen. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Lance Leifold doesn't even have eighteen losses. That's how good he is. And his time. In his I was going to say, wait a minute. In his time at Kansas. If you combine his time at Kansas with uh, with, with Whitewater, Whitewater, maybe he might get to this. What ten at Kansas? What do you have at Whitewater? He was like hundred and six and eight, I think. It might it be close. close. It would be close. Uh, so I, I mentioned the Mastery Herb Street one. That's currently my favorite right now. Uh, if All you right. want to get what a little, you, what do you think of Kobe Bryant's face on actual Kobe Bryant? I like that. You say Hawk Mamba, but is Hawk that Mamba? Is that a little wrong? Because I was thinking like, the same Kobe thing. Bryant, yeah, you know. yeah. No, I had I had the same thoughts. But I thought I would just throw it out there. Yeah. But I was thinking the same thing. Like, would that be maybe in a little bit poor taste? Mm-hmm. Okay, how about this one? All right, okay. so you know the picture of LeBron dunking and D-Wade's, like, doing the thing. You know what I mean? The, thing, the iconic picture, right? Yes. And then it became a SpongeBob meme mm-hmm. where it was, like, SpongeBob and Patrick. Okay, you take that and you put Jalen's face on SpongeBob dunking and Lance Leipold's face on Patrick after, it went, like, the guy... Going like this. Oh, okay. Are you following? I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. See, I was thinking you were going to go, or Bill could be- Self was lobbying it up to Lance Leipold to dunk Okay. It. That's good, too. You know? Yeah, that's good, too. Yeah. But there's options there. There are that's options. good. Yeah. Okay, this is a little, this is a little childish humor. <laughs> I'm ashamed that I'm going to write this. TCU's ranked what? 17th? They are 17th, yeah. It's weird you're not ranked second because you're TC Poo. <laughs> Get it? I, Number see, two joke. I think you could just say TC Poo. 
Just put TCU and then like <laughs> TC, the, the poo, poo emoji. emoji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. might work. Simple yeah. to or, the point. Or TC who? Ah. <laughs> that one's, that one's kind of bad, I think. It's Halloween. You put a ghost. TC boo. Okay. Going the wrong way with this. Yeah. Um, TCU is the only purple team I respect. That's a pretty good one. Yeah, that's good. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. The only purple I acknowledge is TCU. <laughs> um, okay. I think the actual guy actually did this because I'm pretty sure I saw it on okay. Twitter. But one of the more iconic signs from KU football fandom is, remember the guy sitting all alone in the stands and he's, the, the sign just says, I am sad. Remember that guy? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, I'm pretty sure he recreated it, but you, you make the sign and it it's, it just says, I am happy. Instead of I'm sad. That could work. But I think the guy actually did that. I was so going to say, I feel like that should be reserved for that yeah, guy. I'm pretty, and I'm, I think he did. I think I saw it on Twitter that he actually did do that. Mm-hmm. As he should. Um, what else? Sonny Dykes is the head coach for TCU. I I don't even know what, a, what state of mind I was in when I wrote this. The only <laughs> Sonny I acknowledge is Sonny D. Does that work at all? You could do like... Uh, there's, there's definitely more to the Sonny Dykes possibility of, mm-hmm. of of things you could do there. What else could you do? Hmm. There's like, um, okay, I don't watch this show, but maybe always like, sunny it's in always Philadelphia. sunny in Philadelphia. You could do something with that because there's a lot of memes from that show. Mm-hmm. You could probably find one from that. But what would we do? Because we can't say always sunny in Lawrence because then that's like, huh, like, huh. Yeah. Good I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What about... Um, making fun of the Aaron Judge live look-ins, and we just have like an Aaron Judge live look-in, like on a picture, <laughs> just like a picture of him at uh-huh. bat or something, and it's like ES- ESPN live look-in or something. Yeah, yeah, that would be pretty funny. Just also, because like, put it up over people's signs. Yeah, that would be also like, be funny in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's pretty good. That would also just be I- ironic because of the fact that College Game Day is on ESPN. Yes, and so you're like sh- almost you're trolling ESPN to ESPN's mm-hmm. face. ESPN's face to be like, oh, ESPN's going to cut away from college game day to show you this this Aaron Judge at bat. You could do a, a pizza of like Casey's breakfast pizza and, and instead of like, I know breakfast pizza doesn't have pepperoni, but instead of like, you know, <laughs> toppings, you just see mini Jared Casey's faces on it. Yeah. Or Casey's is to, elite. I don't know. I was trying like to that. think of something to do with Applebee's and Jared Casey. Uh-huh. You could tie something in there. You could? I don't really know what exactly. Don't either. Uh, what about this? This is a popular just meme that goes around every Halloween. You have the people who post the pictures with the candy. Like, be careful with your kids going to Halloween this year. There's, you know, razors in the candy. And people, like, do funny things in there. So you could be like, please check your candy this Halloween. My kid got TCU in his peanut butter cup. And it's just like a picture of peanut butter <laughs> like cup. Like the horn frog. Yeah, with the horn frog. In it. <laughs> I think there's some options there. Yeah. I don't think yeah. any are home runs, but feel free yeah. to use any of them. As you please. Yeah, I was I was trying to come up with some related to the horn frog. There's got to be something you could do to make to, to make fun of the horn frog. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really, I don't know, like like frog legs or something like mm. like like what's on the menu for dinner. No, then like you're gonna the get Jayhawk. pita after you. The Jayhawk, is, good. the Jayhawks eating frog legs. By like, the way, if somebody does make a sign, you didn't like you didn't you don't like Big J eating frog legs. Yeah, I mean that could work. I just feel like that's that's a very like. You know, it's a... What's wrong with it? I don't know. It's a basic, like, idea of my mascot's going to eat your mascot, right? Um, All right, fine. 
I if, thought it was a lot better than you thought it was. If, really. if someone has a sign that says like I I heart Rock Chalk Sports Talk or or RCS listen to Rock Chalk Sports Talk or something and that sign gets on TV or Nick is cute or uh, what oh sorry I do not agree to that one. You can have your own bet for that one. <laughs> but I promise you this, if you do that and have the sign on TV and I see the TV or you take a screenshot of TV or whatever, I promise you two tickets to one of the next KU football home games, and I will try to get you two KU basketball tickets to an upcoming basketball game. So there you go. there's some incentives there's to do that. There's a deal for the listeners. Okay. I love uh, RCST. I love Rock Talk Sports Talk. Yes. Rock Talk Sports Talk. Travis Goff spoke with the media earlier today as the KU stadium renovations and, and plans have kind of been announced here. Not everything has been finalized or whatnot, but uh, here is the first part of Travis Goff speaking with the media earlier today. Well, first of all, appreciate everybody coming out today. It's obviously a great day in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, the University of Kansas. So excited to finally be able to articulate KU's vision around this project, this development over my shoulder there at 11 Mississippi with David Booth Kansas Memorial Stadium at the very forefront, uh, truly changing the landscape of what fan experience will mean uh, around college football. Um, here to my right, the Anderson Family Football Complex, a chance to make sure we're providing our football program with as in a tremendous a day-to-day development experience as any place in the country. Uh, such an important part of it, something that's incredibly important to Coach Leipold and his staff. And so just to be able to come out and, and make that statement around our university's commitment to football at Kansas uh, means an awful lot. You know, it takes an entire community, and that's what I would emphasize to the group. This is a university-wide institutional commitment. This is not just an athletics project. Uh, it truly has a chance in terms of multi-use, in terms of economic impact, to drive change for Lawrence and we think for the region and the state as well. We're excited to share more detail on that um, as things progress in the days ahead. And then, you know, finally, I would just kind of like close by, by saying that there's no more important time than now for KU to make this kind of statement and to make this kind of commitment. Um, football is at the driving force, frankly, of not just intercollegiate athletics, but in so many ways, the health and the vibrancy of higher education, and in our case here at the University of Kansas, has a lot to say about you know momentum as we think about applications and enrollment, the, the financial health of the university, and of course, continuing to build upon the brand uh, of what it means to be a Jayhawk. So really exciting day in Lawrence, and happy to take questions from anybody today. Travis, do you feel like $350 million is a fair estimate of what this could end up costing? What number did you say? Uh, that's that's what we have. I believe that's in the, the Board of Regents approved kind of rolling annual uh, budget to be determined is really the short answer to it. Um, it's going to be of incredibly significant magnitude. This this was not us saying, hey, we need to do some modifications. This was not us saying we need to enhance or tweak or do some renos. This is us saying we have a chance and are fully committed to developing one of the most unique settings and one of the most unique stadiums in the country and at the same time making sure we invest in the football student athletes that will base right here on this location. This is centered around the football stadium and around the growth and the excitement around this program, but this is a development for this whole city. Right. Can you talk about the importance to Lawrence that this will have? Yeah, no question. Uh, it's 
we really believe when this is successful, it will be because it will have had a Lawrence partnership, neighborhood partnership, um, business-based value add, right? We think about multi-use, we think about economic impact, and we think that that transcends beyond just Lawrence and Douglas County and has a chance to really drive some uh, some economic impact for the state as well. And so that really is the, the magnitude of the vision that's led by the chancellor that takes all the right partners right here in the city of Lawrence and the state, certainly uh, in, the, in the legislature, and, and we are excited and confident about the trajectory we have there. Could you give us an idea of the footprint of this development as well as the types of facilities or businesses that might go in there? Yeah, well, we think about this idea of gateway, this northern gateway, you know, whether you're starting your journey off of 6th or off of 9th, but entering campus from the north as you come down Mississippi, and that's where that intersection of 11th and Mississippi is important. Um, we also have, obviously, just up the hill here, the new Alumni Welcome Center, the Student Union parking and the parking deck that brings you up to Jayhawk Boulevard. So we've, we felt like this is the ideal kind of entryway to welcome people into their KU experience, whether it be prospective students, prospective student athletes, alumni and visitors making their way to Lawrence and making their way to KU. Um, so really we're looking at the entirety of this location at 11th and Mississippi, where the stadium resides, and then even as we venture to the east and, and certainly the northeast. Guys, could you give a time important to give Coach Leipold a signal about your commitment, the university's commitment to the football program in general and this yeah. facility, which he has mentioned a couple of times already. Well, I think I think the timing is a is a product of the work that's been done over many, many, many months, and we got very fortunate for it to align, quite frankly, with this awesome week here at Lawrence and at KU with game day, and then, hey, we were doing this with or without a 5-0 and football team, right? And so you take that combination, you feel great about it. But I think you know this commitment, this investment, these discussions started um, before my time. But I can tell you from my experience, every day since I've been here, every day since we've hired Coach Leipold and the staff, we've talked about what the needs are. We've talked about making sure we, we don't just try and, and meet what others are doing, but we try and have a different level of vision, even a different level of commitment around football. So over the course of this past 17, 18 months, it's been a daily kind of journey, and it just brought us to this incredible moment here this week. You talk about what this would mean for competing with other universities. I mean, you know, to continue the success that KU was seeing this year, you have to be able to compete to get the top recruits and things of that nature. How will this, this project, this development, equal this, the playing field? Yeah, well, I, you know, KU's proven for generations in multiple sports that you can achieve anything here at Lawrence and, and in Lawrence and at KU. Our men's basketball team gave us one heck of a reminder back in April in New Orleans. That group of men came together to cut down the nets. Um, we've had the combination of basketball tradition at the very top with really good competitive football before. So this to us is something we've all known and believed and we've had this great demonstration from this team and from this coaching staff. And what better way to bring it all together than with a tangible statement around what we all know Kansas football can, can be both sustain and continue to grow uh, in the years ahead. All right, that was Travis Goff. We'll share the rest of that audio for you later on in the show. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Your game picks next. Checkers, the store for everyone where the sale never ends. This week, get split. 
You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got high school football coming at you after the show today. 6.45 pregame, 7 o'clock kickoff for both Lawrence High on KLWN and Free State over on 92.9 The Bull. It is that time on a Friday, though. We get to our week's game picks. Nick is sitting at 21-28-1. If you include the locks, 24-33-2. I am 23-26-1, which I feel like the math does not add up there. No, it does. Okay, never mind. Or uh, 27-31-1 overall. So starting college football, you were 14-16, and 16, but you're hot. You went 4-1 and one last week. There we go. I am 15-15 and 15 after a 3-2 and two week. Starting in Death Valley, number 8 Tennessee is on the road taking on number 25 LSU. And uh, LSU is getting three points. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with LSU here. Tennessee is a, is a good team. They beat Florida, but I think now there's questions about how good Florida is. Tennessee's offense is really good, but I, LSU with with Brian Kelly, this feels like a must-win game for them, really. I mean, you've got to get at least one big-time win if you're the new coach at LSU. And I don't know that they'll win this game. I guess it's minus three. So, yeah, I think I think they'll have a chance to win. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with LSU. If Tennessee wins this game, I'm going to think they're really, really for real. Uh, for them to be able to do this. Not that I think LSU is like this college football playoff contender or anything, but I, I do think LSU wins the game straight up. I do think I would take them for that reason to cover the three points. I'm just not totally buying into the uh, Tennessee hype train just yet. Number 17, TCU, minus six and a half at number 19, Kansas. I would feel way better about this pick if it was still at, the line was still at seven like it had been earlier in the week. So minus six and a half is makes me a little nervous, but I'm gonna ride with the boys. I'm going with the Jayhawks. Kansas gets it done. I I think I've said earlier this week that I could very much see an outcome where TCU wins by 14, or that Kansas just wins straight up, and that there's not a middle in between. I am gonna take Kansas with the points here, though. You you just assume that the offense can get back on track. If they do, this should be a back and forth game. And I keep going back to the idea: if Kansas can continue to limit explosive plays on defense to a TCU offense that has been really good at that, then maybe you take them out of their comfort zone. And uh, with college game day in town and a great environment and everything, maybe that's enough to, to keep you close in that game. So I'll take Kansas with the 6.5. Number 11, Utah, is giving up 3.5 points. They're at 18th-ranked UCLA. Yeah, talk about a team that I just don't really buy into or know anything really why they're good. It's UCLA. I mean, I guess they have Dorian Thompson-Robinson still, but I don't understand UCLA. Like, they played at home against Washington last weekend, and I thought, okay, Washington is going to easily win this game. And then UCLA, they they were blowing them out early. I think Washington ended up making it kind of a closer game, but yeah, I'm not I'm not buying into UCLA. So I'll take Utah minus three and a half here. Yeah, I was I was not buying into UCLA last week either, and it spurned me against Washington. So I'm like sort of buying into them, but I'm not buying into them enough that they're going to take down Utah again. They don't really have a a true. Uh, home court advantage or home court was this basketball home field <laughs> advantage for this game they have, they have they have the David Beatty Kansas home field advantage <laughs> yes exactly and uh, Utah's a physical team they're gonna smash you that was the thing if you watch that UCLA Washington game Washington has been really good this year but it's because of their offense the the guy they brought over from Fresno State their head coach was an offensive guy and that's a little weird because when you think of Washington over the past handful of years when they've been good with Chris Peterson and whatnot it was because of the defense so that's not Washington anymore. And UCLA was able to do whatever they wanted offensively. Everything was a six, seven, eight yard run. No pressure on Thompson Robinson running wherever they were. I don't think that's the case. Utah is a physical team. They play good defense. I think they're going to smack UCLA in the mouth. I'll take Utah minus the three and a half points. 
Number 16, BYU, is taking on Notre Dame in Sin City in Las Vegas, and the Fighting Irish are giving Wait, up three and a half. This game's in not Las Vegas? Yes. I didn't even realize that. Mm-hmm. Why? Just because? Yeah, sure. Just because. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because when well, you think Catholics versus Mormons, you think gambling. You think Las Vegas. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Notre Dame sucks. I'm going with BYU here. <laughs> I think BYU okay. is going to, going to win this game pretty easily. I think the BYU hype train obviously got derailed earlier in the season, but to me, they're still a, they're still a good team. And Notre Dame has has besides the the game against Ohio State, which I don't know how much you want to read into that. Besides that game, Notre Dame has not really done anything to to suggest that they're a great team. Give me BYU. I'm hoping BYU. I still have that that thousand or, or hundred <laughs> to one ticket on BYU to make the playoff, which is probably dead because. Are they, would they really? They let have two losses now, right? They just have one. Oh, they only have one. But would they really let a team in with one loss who doesn't play in a conference championship and got kind of blown out in that one game? Probably not. But um, I, I still would love them to win enough games to make it close that maybe I could like you know cash out the bet and, and get a little money back or something. Um, that said, I am going to go Notre Dame here. I guess I'm just hedging my bet. These two teams are a little bit similar. They're both kind of good in the trenches. Don't have a ton on the outside. So I, I don't know. I guess I'll go Notre Dame. I don't really feel confident in that one. Texas A&M is at number one Alabama. You would have thought before the season started that, you know, if not the Red River rivalry shootout, whatever it's called again, uh, was game day this weekend, that it would have been this one because you had the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban spat in the offseason. But now Texas A&M stinks on offense. The quarterback's out with Max Johnson, and Alabama's given up 24 points. Yeah, talk about a pick that I am very confident in. Alabama. Alabama all day. They're, they're, they're going to blow them out. Listen, if they weren't already going to blow them out, now you've got the rivalry aspect of Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. You think Nick Saban's going to go easy on old Jimbo here? No, he's <laughs> going to crush him by 40. Yeah, if they get up big, like they're going to you know keep the brakes on. And, and Texas A&M's offense is so bad that like it's going to be easy to put the brakes on because yes. A&M might only score 7 or 10 points. So just naturally, I think Alabama's going to be able to cover the 24-point spread here. But who knows? Maybe A&M is kind of reinvigorated and everything like that. Do you think that there will be a post-game handshake between the two? Ah, uh, interesting. Um, I don't know. You know, I like the thing about Nick Saban is he's always known as like kind of a respectful, you know, guy, but he's always been kind of sometimes lately he's he gets his his feathers ruffled a little bit and then obviously the, you know. So, I don't know. I feel like maybe not, especially okay, I will say this. Especially if Alabama just keeps rolling them the whole game, I don't think there will be then. You know, if, if they're mm-hmm. still if they're still scoring up like fifty six to ten, <laughs> I don't think there will be at that point. No. Okay, what is your lock of the week? Uh, I'm going for Oregon minus thirteen at mm. Arizona. Arizona used to be one of the worst Power Five teams in football. They're a little better this year, but I think Oregon will find a way to get it done. And if you have been following the show and know my locks of the week, you should bet Arizona right now. I'm one I, and four in locks of the week, so bet Arizona. I was gonna say I would I would actually take Arizona on this one. <laughs> Jed Fish, baby. Former almost Kansas head coach. Um, okay. I am just two and three in locks. You're one and four. So this hasn't gone much better for me. I've lost my last two. I'm gonna go back to the Georgia Well. It almost I, I mean, it spurned me last <laughs> week against Missouri, but I think because of that, they're gonna come out reinvigorated. Auburn is not good. Georgia minus fifteen and a half in the first half against Auburn. I think that's a. I'm just gonna say it. I think that's a bad pick. Okay. Because listen, listen. Coming from the Kent guys State, one and four in his lock. Kent State, the Kent State game against Georgia. And you thought, okay, well now after that Kent State that game, game, Georgia is gonna wake up against Missouri and surely, you know, beat the brakes off of them. 
they struggle even more against Missouri. So what makes you think they're gonna they're gonna do well against Auburn? I swear you are holding that Kent State game against them more than anything that they, has happened to any what team you, in college what, football. No, I have all the right to. Kent State sucks. <laughs> Beat them by seventeen. <laughs> but it was a close game for most of the game. Okay, uh, on to the NFL. Where on the season you are seven twelve and one. You were one three and one last week. I am eight eleven and one after going two two and one a week ago. The New York Giants are three and one. Can they keep it going against Green Bay, giving up eight points playing in London? I don't think the Giants are going to win this game, but I think they will cover the eight. And because here's why: they just ran Saquon Barkley thirty one times against the Bears last week. I think their strategy should be very similar against against the Packers. Limit the number of possessions, just ground and pound, and lose seventeen to ten or lose you know twenty four to twenty or whatever. Give me the Giants here covering the eight. I don't think they're going to win, but I'll take the Giants covering. I I never feel great about betting a big spread when it's in London because you never know how like a team's going to come over and travel and are they really going to be that up to it with, with Green Bay here. I just I, I have concerns about the Giants. I mean, the the last what quarter half of that game against the Bears, they're running Wildcat because both Daniel Jones and Terod Taylor were injured. And if that has to happen all game long against the Packers, which obviously it won't, they they won't go into a game that way. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll just go Green Bay. The Giant. I I don't know why the Giants are three and one. It's it's one of those weird <laughs> ones where like they could finish. 6-11, and 11, and it wouldn't surprise me even after the 3-1 and one start. Uh, Dallas is at the Rams, who are giving up 5.5 points. Oh, boy, this is a tough one. The Rams, the Rams stank. They are not good. But I think Dallas is worse. <laughs> so, well, okay, I'm changing my mind. I had Rams down as my pick. You know what? I just convinced myself I'm taking Dallas instead. <laughs> Give me Dallas because the Dallas defense is really good. The Rams are bad. I've convinced myself after I had the Rams just a few moments ago. I'm going Dallas. Hmm. Okay. And Cooper Rush, you trust. Um, yes. I will go with the Rams here. Matt Stafford really struggled this season. So that doesn't make me feel great because Dallas has been really good on the defensive side of the ball so far. And yep. with Micah Parsons, yeah. You know, yep. I I just the Rams are one of those teams to me this year that are like I don't know, they're like bounce think, back. Do and you forth. think the Rams could like flip the switch at some point and just become good? Yes, I don't really think it will happen though. Kind of a Super Bowl hangover year, uh, but I think because of that like the talent is still there. That I don't know. I I feel like like one week they're going to be down like the 49ers, The next week they're going to be up. So I guess I'll go Rams minus five and a half. And I almost talked just you shut Dallas. down. You did. I I just <laughs> maybe they can shut down the the running game, Cooper Rush enough that they can win like seventeen to ten or something. Philadelphia minus five at Arizona. I'm gonna ride with Philadelphia here. Their offense has been really good. I, I'm hesitant to say that Philadelphia is the best team in the league, but, I mean, at this point, it's kind of hard to argue that they're not at least, like, top three or top four or top five at this point. And Arizona, I, I don't know. I don't think it's a double XP weekend in COD, so maybe Kyler Murray will be good. But uh, I am I'm, I'm going with Philadelphia. I'm going to go Arizona. I don't feel great about it. As I have not for most of my NFL bets. <laughs> Philadelphia is so good on the lines of scrimmage, and Arizona is not. So that could be very problematic for the Cardinals in this game. I just think that Arizona, to me, feels like a team that could keep this one close. Um, we're, we're getting closer to like DeAndre Hopkins and whatnot getting back, but Rondell Moore is back for them with A.J. Green and Marquise Hollywood-Brown and stuff to where 
I think this could be like a high-scoring game where I could see Arizona being down 10 in the fourth quarter and they score like a late touchdown to cover the five. I guess I'll go Arizona. I, I feel like I've had zero confidence in any of my NFL picks. So Yeah, Sorry yeah about you're that. definitely not inspiring confidence no. in, the, in the people here. Um, all right, Cincinnati at Baltimore. Baltimore minus three and a half. I am going with Baltimore. Listen, they've had some really bad luck slash some poor timely play calling, I guess, to lose their past couple games. I think they've trailed for 14 seconds, and they're 2-2. Yep. Two and two. Yep, yep. So I'm going to go with Baltimore here. Cincinnati, I think, is still in the midst of kind of figuring themselves out early in the season, and I like John Harbaugh more than Zach Taylor, so I'm taking Baltimore. I am going to go Cincinnati. The Bengals had all sorts of success against the Ravens last year. The Ravens just constantly like blitzed Joe Burrow, and they just went to that like empty set where he was just kind of throwing it around. Maybe Baltimore adjusts and does something different there defensively, but I, I think Cincinnati is going to put up a lot of points. Even if the Ravens win, I think they keep it within the three and a half. I think if you had it at two and a half, I'd be a little more scared off here. I do like having the the three in the hook though there. So I'll go Cincinnati. Las Vegas at Kansas City on Monday Night Football. The Chiefs are giving up seven points. Got to ride with the boys, man. Got to go with the Chiefs here. And also, first of all, the Chiefs last year they beat the Raiders by a combined like 150 to 10. That's an official stat, by the way, 150 to 10 against the Raiders. So uh, minus seven doesn't really scare me. I, I but again, my concern for the Chiefs is. They still, I mean, they had the game against the Colts where they struggled, but then they come back. Like, are is it possible they kind of revert back to a Colts type game? Maybe. Uh, I I don't think so. I think they're going to continue their momentum, and uh, I think they will win big again against the Raiders. We've seen Derek Carr come into Arrowhead and, and get kind of a big upset win or, or play the Chiefs closer. We've seen a lot of other times where Derek Carr has been blown out by the Chiefs. So. Uh, you could convince me either way on this one. I'll go with the Chiefs riding high off that Buccaneers game. You are right, though. Like This would be kind of a letdown for you, especially looking ahead to the Bills the next week, right? But I'll, I'll go with the Chiefs getting the or giving up the seven points. What is your lock of the week where you are 2-1-1? One, and one? I am going to go with the Chargers minus two at Cleveland. I know the Chargers have been dealing with a lot of injuries. There's a lot of question marks around them. I, I just don't think the Browns are good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Chargers minus two. I think I think the Chargers should be able to win this game if we're going to assume that they're a, a legit team, like in the contention for AFC or the playoffs. So the the Chargers, a I think just have to win this game to keep themselves in that conversation, and I think they will. Does it make you feel worse that the Chargers are like the worst run defense in the NFL and they're playing Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt? I, I don't think it will be that much of a problem. No, I I don't I'm not concerned. Okay. I'm 2-2 two and two on locks. I'm going to go with Tampa Bay. Angry Tom Brady. Okay. Divorce. It says everybody sucks. They're playing the Falcons, which <laughs> that was, that was an means a little extra to him. Yeah. They're giving up 10 points, which is a lot. And the Falcons have been feisty. But here's the other thing. This is such a stupid way to bet, so I don't know why I'm doing it, but I'm going to anyway. The Falcons are the only team who's undefeated against the spread this year. I was about year. to bring that up. They're 4-0. So that means they're due to lose against the spread, right? I mean, you would you would think. Maybe. <laughs> so, Bucks, give it a whirl. <laughs> Minus 10. All right, that is our game picks for the week. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. We've got Sports Stock Market coming at you next, right here on RCST. We got Brandon McAnderson, former Jayhawk Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network, joining us now on the show. And of course, 
You can hear BMAC with the Jayhawk Radio Network right here on KLWN. Pre-game starts at 9.30 and kickoff at 11 o'clock. Uh, one thing that, that seems to be a common theme for this season in, in interviews with Lance Leipold and kind of getting to know more about the process and whatnot is, I guess, kind of how different he, he treats certain things. And I, I know you've kind of pointed that out in certain ways. What, what have you been most impressed with by how he kind of handles a program? I think just his uh, attention to uh, the person and the importance placed on the person. I think that a lot of people talk about it, you know, that that's a, that's a pivotal part of the program. Um, but I think with him, you can see it in action. You know, you just see guys uh, responding the right way. You see guys connected the right way. You see guys communicating the right way. Um, and you see that connectivity everywhere they go. You know, you just see him, um, you know, being able to build a real bond uh, from that. So it's been a pleasure to watch him just build connections individual real connections with each player and i think it can't be understated how him and his coaching staff have gone out of their way to do something that's not super common in college football at this level you know one thing that i think was really interesting i forget if we were talking to Jalen daniels or andy kolnicki or who at at a media availability and it was the idea that uh the two of them like the night before the game or on friday night or whatever go over kind of the some of the scripted plays. They go over some of the situational stuff about, you know, in this down, like what would you run or what do you like here or, or what about this and kind of explain the why to some of the stuff as opposed to just saying, hey, do this because it's going to be good. How, how common is that with, with coaches? Like do, do most coaches try to explain the why or, or do a lot of them kind of just rest on, no, like I, I know better, just just do what I say? No, I would say that that's kind of position, that's coach to coach kind of thing. So I think it changes depending on who the person is. So I don't think there's like one uniform way to do it, but you can tell when a coach and a and a quarterback are in line with each other, and and that's the obvious thing that you see with those two. That what he's asking him to do on the field, he has a a really good understanding of it. He has no problem executing it, um, and he just does a really good job getting through his progressions, getting him into the right plays. You know, you, you see them kill plays early. You'll see that kill, kill, kill. That, you know, they'll have two plays called. So what you see is just two people that are in sync and two people that have figured out each other's learning and communication style, and it's kind of just helped them um, develop and build that relationship. KU scores their least amount of points last week against Iowa State with 14. It's kind of a tale of two halves. They, they had it all in the first half, almost had even more with – the field goal or whatnot, um, going back and, and watching over that game, did it feel like KU was closer to maybe busting out than we might have thought? Or, or I guess what kind of went wrong? Like, was it just Iowa State's good on defense and KU had a bad day? Yeah, so I expected that I would um, pull up the film and I would see that Kansas just really struggled and Iowa State was, was unique and, and caused them a lot of problems. And that's not what I saw. Um, in the first half, like you said, they averaged seven yards of play, you know, so that wasn't as if they weren't doing what they normally do. Um, first drive of the second half, um, they moved it past midfield and they tried the, uh, Jason Bean, one of those, one of his run play packages on third down, or excuse me, no, they had a quarterback draw with Jalen Daniels on third down, didn't convert, had to punt. And then the next drive, they basically did the same thing. They drove right down the field. He missed 
uh, Quentin Skinner for a touchdown on second down, and then they tried that being uh, quarterback keep on third down, and then that wasn't successful, so they had to punt again. From there, they did not go back onto the field for 27 minutes of real time. Because if you remember, uh, Iowa State had that long, long 90-plus yard drive. Um, you know, Xavier Hutchinson got injured at one point. Uh, they had to review Jacoby's interception. And then it ultimately ended in a missed field goal. But all that happened at the same time. And I think after that, there was that's where you would be concerned. But, but I wasn't because after that, a lot of the issues were self-inflicted. You know, like they had a, a holding penalty on first down, a legal man downfield. So they just didn't have the ball very much. They didn't have an opportunity to get into a rhythm, and they really didn't get stopped the way you would think they would based on the the result of the game. So it was more of, of you know, they did miss more than they usually miss, um, you know, especially on the downfield stuff. Jalen Daniels and lights out, and he did miss that one. But that's it. You know, it was a, it was a missed throw, and then just a team that you know kept the offense off the field. Well, on the other side of the ball, we saw the best performance of the season from the defense, and you've talked about this too, that you know, even in some of the past games, the defense maybe played better than maybe the score indicated, or they showed signs that there could be a higher ceiling there. Uh, do you think we've, we've now seen the turning of the corner? I guess what do you expect from this defense kind of moving forward? Now, I don't know about turn the corner because, you know, I think it's a process still. I think they're still learning each other. They're still learning how to execute what they need to execute. But I think what you're seeing is is as this season gets along, their depth on the defensive line is going to continue to show. You know, these guys just aren't playing 60, 70 snaps a game. You know, they're playing 20, 30 snaps a game. They're extremely fresh. You know, you could pick, I mean, that'd be an interesting radio game is picking which group of D linemen will have the best game. It's literally been a group of two or three players, and they've been different players every game. You know, this past game, it was, you know, Sam Burt and, uh, you know, and uh, Tommy Dunn Jr. and Zion DeBose. Before that, it was Caleb Sampson and Lonnie Phelps and Hatcher. Before, I mean, it's just been a rotating door of a small group of D linemen having their best game of the year. And that was a good example of that, just how they played. So I think they're building brick by brick. I think their run defense is real. You know, that's something that's been, you know, West Virginia had a monster running attack. They couldn't run the ball against Kansas. Houston had a couple big runs, but they couldn't consistently run the ball against Kansas. Um, Duke had some broken tackles and such in the first half, but second half they didn't consistently run the ball. So it's it's been a recurring theme. I think the second piece they figured out, too, is red zone defense. That's two games in a row where their red zone defense has been incredible. Um, they've been holding people to field goals. I think they're at, I think they're top 40 in the nation in red zone defense for the season. So I think run defense, red zone defense are real. So I'm just curious of what the next piece is going to be. You know, and I think it might be that second level with the linebacking core. I think they might be the ones that take the next step. You know, if they're able to get pressure the way they are with four consistently, then those guys should be able to contribute in the underneath coverages and start to disrupt and get some interceptions and just make it harder. But, I do think the big challenge for them this week is going to be quarterback run game. It's just not something they've seen a lot of, and this will be the best quarterback they've faced thus far. Yeah, is this the the matchup? I, I know you don't really get as much time to you know watch all the games around the Big Twelve, but does it almost feel like these are the two best quarterbacks in the Big Twelve right now? Yeah, I saw a little bit of uh, Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State, and he looked incredible early in the season. Um, so he's up there for sure. Uh, but yeah, they, this is the best group. They are the best group of quarterbacks playing, uh, maybe even in the country. They've both been uh, incredible completion percentage, both been able to do it running and throwing. 
You know, they both have a 300-yard game and over 80 yards rushing. You know, so they've both been excellent. And, you know, Duggan was a guy last – I mean, he won that game for them at in Fort Worth last year. Just his ability to keep keep the sticks, keep them ahead of the sticks, make the big plays when he needed to, to use his feet, to break tackles. And he was a problem for us last year in the quarterback run game too. So he's just, he's just a good player that's played a lot of football. Okay, you down a pretty – big name in the running back room with Daniel Highshaw and his injury. So unfortunate for him, just sucks after, you know, missing all of last year and, and kind of breaking out this year. And uh, we hope he has a, a speedy recovery and everything. But I guess now opportunity is available for somebody to step up. How do you kind of see this playing out? Do you think Devin Neal is just going to get even more of a kind of workload? Do you think somebody like Tory Lachlan, Kai Thomas, Savion Morrison is going to fill into that role, or do you think it's going to kind of be, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, just to kind of uh, fill the shoes that are left? Yeah, I think it's going to be kind of a next-in-line thing. You know, Devin, his position is what it is. He's the lead back. He's going to continue to get a lot of touches. I think his uptick just a bit. I think Savion Morrison has earned the right to be next-in-line, so he'll be the guy to – I know he's been more of a jet and gadget guy. I think he'll get a chance to run the ball uh, more consistently within the offense. You know, Tory Lachlan's role, I don't even know what he plays. I mean, he's like a running back, H-back, wide receiver. So I don't think his role will change because he's kind of doing something specific to him. So the next thing, the next question is where does Kai Thomas fit? And I may, I bet he fits more into some of the, if he's healthy, uh, he fits more into the, the gadget play stuff, you know, running jet you know, uh, screen passes, running routes, that sort of thing. So I think it's just a, I mean, a, a embarrassment of riches to have a guy that can step in that the, the level of player Kai Thomas is. Uh, but they've got a lot of good things going on, and I think that group will keep on moving. Well, we saw some of the, the plays with I, – I, that one play was really cool where Jalen Daniels hands off to Jason Bean and then he throws it on the run to the right. Tory Lachlan, former high school quarterback, could you see a play where they have basically – you know, Jalen Daniels takes the snap, throws it behind the line of scrimmage to Jason Bean, throws it behind the line of scrimmage the other way to Tory Lachlan, and then hits somebody. Is that too crazy? No, it seems like everything's on the table with this group. I mean, to <laughs> hand it off to Bean, for him to do a sprint out short pass to, to Grimm. So you know they've got three or four different packages off that play alone. Um, and I still think that the thing I'm most interested in seeing is that if Bean can just stretch the field with his speed like as a you know as a receiving option at some point. So I know they've got the creative juices flowing over there, and they got packages of players here, there, and everywhere. So I'm excited to see what they come up with. Well, you mentioned Max Duggan and the quarterback run game for TCU. Outside of that, like what kind of sticks out to you about this TCU offense? I've kind of said all week that the biggest key for me is – I mean, this is a TCU offense that is just super explosive, has all these 20, 30-plus yard plays, and that if Kansas can slow that down, which Kansas has been good at so far this season, then maybe you make TCU a little bit uncomfortable and do something that they haven't had to do, which is kind of have these longer sustained drives over the course of the game. But what sticks out to you besides the, the quarterback run game for, for what's going to be so challenging for the KU defense? They've got a good receiving core. They're big and physical. Um, they're all super athletic, so that's going to be a challenge. Um, I think they might be the best collective group Kansas has played, even though that West Virginia group was pretty good. Uh, so they'll be right up there with, with them in terms of just overall talent. You know, good offensive line play. You know, they're, I think our defensive line will match up fine with them. Um, so I don't think that'll be a huge issue. But I think, like I said, this quarterback run is going to be interesting. You know, challenging them on the outside is going to be interesting. And like you mentioned, it might be with their explosive plays, 
and Kansas has kind of been a bend but don't break uh, defense all year anyway. I would expect to see a ton of uh, off coverage from those safeties and corners, inviting them to throw underneath and Kansas to tackle well, because that's something that they've been doing really well. Also, is open field tackling over the last couple of weeks. So, you know, keeping the ball in front of them, trying some open field tackling, you know, kind of bending and then, you know, stiffening up in the red zone and trying to make it difficult for them. But that's kind of been their recipe for defense anyway. So I imagine there'll be more of that. The question will be that that screen game, when you're playing off, it really opens you to that screen, that wide receiver screen game, those flanker screens, and they'll have to be up to the challenge there and make plays because Iowa State had their way with that stuff, and the screens have kind of been our uh, one thing that's really just given us a lot of trouble. So I'll be interested to see how they respond to the, the wide receiver screen game. On the flip side of it, the offense looking to bounce back, TCU – uh, it, it seems like, uh, I don't know, a very fast defense, and, and they're going to do something similarly to Iowa State. Uh, what are kind of your thoughts on that matchup on that end of the, the field? I like it a lot for us. I think we'll be able to control the clock. I think we'll be able to do the things that we want to do. You know, in Iowa State, and so you're talking about Iowa State, Duke, and West Virginia. Those teams in the front seven are excellent. <laughs> excellent. I mean, even Houston has good personnel, even though they don't always execute as well. So they have faced teams with great front sevens. They face teams with better front sevens than what they're going to see in TCU. The question will be continuing to stay in that third and four and under because that's when they're really dangerous because it makes that run-pass game, you know, uh, you know, more aggressive. And last week, you could hear Coach say that they thought that this would, that the game would be a possession-by-possession game, a field-position game, and they called their offense as such. You know, they didn't take some gambles on fourth down that you would expect them to. You know, they didn't unleash Jalen Daniels on third and six plus. You know, they kind of went to some run stuff. So those are things that I think they were adjusting to the game that they anticipated, and ultimately they were right. I know that they won't be making those anticipations this game. (laughs) They're going to push the envelope. They're going to be more aggressive and more creative because they're going to have to, you know, against the best offense in the country. When you mentioned something interesting there with ball control, because we know this offense is multiple. They have no problem running hurry up some drives. They have no problem running a normal set. They have no problem kind of doing that, like draining the clock a little bit more. And I think we saw that in the OU game last year. They had that like nine and a half minute drive in, I think, the first quarter uh, of that game. Uh, Because TCU is so explosive on offense, could you see this being a game where they do maybe more lean toward, hey, let's, let's have kind of a ball control offense in this one? I think in spots, you know, I think they're going to come out and try to be themselves as they should because they've been one of the best offenses in the country. You know, Jalen's had a great season. So I think there's going to be moments where they come out and just do what they do. But, you know, if you're, if you're trying to get to halftime with the lead, that might be a good time. You know, if you're trying to, you know, milk out a quarter, that might be a good time to stretch it out. So I think they'll be selective when they choose to do it, but I think it's an option that's available to them, you know, if they really want to salt this away, especially – you know, if the offense is continuing, the TCU offense is continuing to be so explosive, you know, because it's, it's just a defense that really hasn't been slowed down by anyone. Last thing I got for you, uh, ha- have you thought about a world, I know the Raiders just won last week, but have you thought about a world where the Raiders are using the number one pick in the NFL draft this next year on Jalen Daniels? Um, I've thought about every world that it possibly exists that Derek Carr does not exist in. Um, so Jalen Daniels, Jalen Thompson, uh, J- Jalen Carter. I mean, I've thought about every version of not having no Derek Carr play quarterback anymore. 
Um, so if it was Jalen Daniels on my favorite team, then thank you, please. But literally anyone will do. He is Brandon McAnderson. You can hear him with pregame 930, kickoff at 11 o'clock right here on KLWN. BMAC, appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Brandon McAnderson, former Jayhawk Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network. Again, you can hear him tomorrow with our Jayhawk Radio Network coverage here on KLWN, your home for the Jayhawks, your original home for the Jayhawks and flagship here in Lawrence. And uh, we're going to have our live show, Nick and Scott Chasen, going to be out at Big Mill from 8.30 to 9.30, so you can hear that on KLWN. You can stop by. They have a prize wheel there. You win shirts, koozies, gift cards, all sorts of free stuff. So why would you not stop by? And, uh, I mean, it literally takes two minutes. Plus, you can stop by Big Mill, whether it's for the game, after the game, if you want to go, you know, have some Detroit-style pizza, or just later in the week. Mondays is BOGO Coney Nights. you got Wine Wednesdays. Buy two pizzas, get one free on Thursday. So, great stuff, as always, at Big Mill. Then after the Big Mill show, Kiss Crew's going to be there till 10.30, though. Uh, at 9.30, Crimson Blue Show takes over with BMAC. And uh, at 11, kickoff with Brian Haney, David Lawrence on the call right here on KLWN. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Earlier today, we shared part of Travis Goff speaking with the media. Here is the rest of what he had to say about KU's new plans for their stadium renovations. When do you think uh, it'll start renovating, and how many seasons will it involve construction? Yeah, we hired we hired an architect yesterday. <laughs> they've already had meetings. If if you can believe, they've ar- literally already had meetings. They'll be over here next week, uh, really living, breathing, sleeping in Anderson Family Football Complex, talking with Coach Leipold, our football program, about what the needs are, what the opportunities are with this building. We'll start on a journey for design and planning to have construction underway first half of 23 right here and then simultaneously really make it headway through the design process for the site for the stadium and site or site preparation occurring the early parts of 23 and then at some juncture here in uh, in the weeks ahead we'll be able to say more about the specifics of additional construction but 23 was always about not saying we'd get something started in December of 23 it was about action in the early part of the year and continuing forward until this uh, vision is fulfilled. When you talk about multi-use for the venue, what are we talking about there, like concerts and stuff like that? Yeah, I think entertainment can absolutely be part of it. You think about this location with campus and with the Hill. You talk about uh, Conference Center, the university, and Lawrence have both studied the viability of, of having a conference environment in Lawrence and based out of KU. That's certainly something that's uh, exciting. I think there's some medical opportunities when you think about potentially clinics, um, ortho, etc. So we're engaged in conversations with our with our uh, Kansas team health, Lawrence Memorial Hospital, KU Med, and those partners on that end. And then, frankly speaking, we're, we'll, we're going to get an de- economic development report back in the next couple of weeks that will tell us a lot more about that in terms of what the literal return on that investment might be. And we're excited for what we think will be a great appetite from developers to also come over and potentially partner on this. Mentioned a second ago, but how much input will Lance and his coaching staff have on that? As much as he has time for, right? I mean, we've said to him, really, in, in so many ways, being a co-architect on Anderson Family Football Complex to have a profound hand in where we go with this stadium. Um, he has a great interest in it. I get texts and tweets and things sent to me probably three or four times a day on, on things he's observed at other programs around the country. He's always 
learning and experiencing it when he's on the road with our program. Um, so he'll be he'll be hands on, and I know he's excited about that as well. Is it a big picture teardown project, a remodel project? I think any of those things are, are in play. And you know what what I can say is there's a lot of history here. There's a lot of. Uh, messages that matter. You think about the memorial aspect of it. You think about 100 years of tradition and history. But at the end of the day, we won't cut any corners on what it's going to take to have an incredible fan experience and, and stadium environment here. So uh, without saying exactly complete demo phases, etc., um, profound is, the, is, what, is what the outcome will be. And more, more information certainly will, will be to come on that. This will be the top of Kansas fans' minds is keeping Coach Lightfoot. What is the university doing to ensure with this development that he stays here? Well, I, I think, you know, if there's a relationship there, great. But to me, it's about all the things day in and day out, the things that always occur more behind the scenes that, that we're demonstrating in partnership with Lance and his staff that this is being built to be sustained. This is not about a blip on the radar, about one incredible week in early October in Lawrence. This is about doing something that we will continue and build upon in the years ahead. And I think those are the things that are occurring day in and day out, not cutting corners, making sure we all embrace and understand what it means to be committed to football. Uh, and I know Lance and the staff feel that, and we won't sit idle, and we won't get comfortable. We'll keep pushing hard going forward. Two more questions, please. Could you discuss the, the momentum you've built, the department has built since a couple of years ago when it was really the toughest financial time in Boston, no ticket sales anywhere. Yeah. Everybody was just forced to really buckle down. And now you're at this kind of place where you're talking about a big project, a multi-phase project. Yeah. A lot of changes happened in the last couple of years. It's it's a place with an incredible foundation, uh, so many amazing people, a university that's committed to athletics, and I think we just needed some things to kind of come together. Um, you got to give credit to a basketball program that, that, again, brought us that championship that really, I think, had a big hand in building our momentum forward. And then, of course, with what uh, Lance and the staff were doing a year ago when most people didn't realize the work that was being put in, the identity, the culture that was occurring, um, they obviously have been a huge part of propelling this thing forward. So a great, uh, a great foundation, incredible brand, strong institution. Uh, I think the right leadership in place, and then some of the momentum indicators have, have uh, put us at a pretty special moment for KU. We've heard a little bit about possible basketball stuff too. Mm -hmm. What's going on there? Like, what would you improve, and is that going to be announced sometime? That'll that, that that will that will be announced and and hopefully sooner rather than later and pretty reasonable as we look out the next couple of months. Uh, really excited about what the Allen Fieldhouse opportunity provides us. You know, similarly, talk about building uh, football for sustained success. We think and talk every day about not just maintaining what the excellence of basketball, but how do we uh, create catalysts to even you know heighten that for for men's basketball at KU. And that project is a great tangible indicator of what that will take. Um, retaining character, history, tradition that only Allen Fieldhouse provides, but enhancing the experience of fans, enhancing the, the student-athlete experience as well. We think there's a there's a way to achieve both. One more question. Can you please just talk about this, the excitement around this college football game day being here, the biggest college football show, the university being on showcase in front of three million people for three hours. Yeah, pretty, pretty good three-hour promotion and advertisement for KU. I, I'd say this. Our fan base deserves it. Uh, loyal, staying by this football program. Obviously, we've showed up that what will be three weeks of a sellout, jammed full of Jayhawks. Jayhawks across the country and the world live in this thing. A university community that, that deserves it, that's supporting us in a profound way. 
Lawrence and the community, same story. You think about the benefit, the activity that's occurring in the city and uh, feeling and understand that. And then I just think, again, it's a chance for us to alert the nation that this is here to stay. And this is a place that can be really one of the most special in the country when you think about excellence with men's basketball, with football, and then broad-based across our department. So we're excited about that. That was Travis Goff, the KU Athletic Director, speaking with the media about KU's latest news with their stadium renovations. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We're taking time out. When we come back, our RCST replay, we spoke with Reese Davis earlier today. That on the other side.